a listener production. Okay, let's start by just taking a deep breath. Welcome to Come Out Wherever You Are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations, you're now a part of our community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was just 12 years old and I last came out Maybe like five hours ago, I was on a client call and I announced that I was gay. They actually didn't ask me my sexuality at all, but listen, I'm a proud gay man, so I wove it into the conversation anyways. Today, we are welcoming a new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Josh. Josh, please introduce yourself and tell us when you first came out and when you last came out. I'm Josh Zepps. I'm married to a guy, obviously, Sean Zepps, the host of this show. Uh, I came out over the course of a number of occasions, I guess, between the ages of 13 and yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else was there? That's it. That's good. Is that it? Yeah. I nailed it. Is that done? Are we done? Can I go? You can leave. Goodbye. Thanks. Josh Zepps is a journalist and a broadcaster. You can hear him on ABC Radio Sydney and on his own podcast, Uncomfortable Conversations. Josh spent 10 years living in New York City, where he founded and presented the online interview series HuffPost Live. This is also, more importantly, where he met, fell in love with, and married the love of his life, me. (laughs) These days, Josh lives in Sydney with me and our two children. The reason why I wanted to have Josh on this show, there are a couple reasons. The first is we actually haven't had these conversations before. And I'm sure many people are thinking, that's crazy. How can you be married to someone and not discuss your coming out story? But the fact of the matter is, a lot of queer people don't revisit their coming out experience. It's suppressed or it's not discussed and you're focused more on the future. So when this kind of concept for a show came up and I realized I had never spoken to my husband in detail about it, this felt like a wonderful opportunity. The other reason I wanted Josh here is because we disagree about everything. We have such a different experience. Our coming out experience is different. We came out at different times. People reacted differently to us. We have different relationships to the community now. And we even have very different relationships into how we label ourselves. And so it felt like a really fresh and interesting conversation for other people to listen to. Two gay people who are married, who have extremely different relationships to their coming out experience. So I'll stop talking. Let's just dive right into the conversation with my husband, Josh. I do think we need to address, before diving into the show, the the reality of, you know, this big gay elephant in the room, which is that you are my husband, which is unusual. Um, We have extremely different experiences of what it means not only to be a part of the LGBTQI plus experience community, but also just coming out. I feel like we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. We disagree about a lot of things Mm -hmm. that have to do with this community. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for young people, they're going to hear my story quite frequently. My story is that of most gay people in the media. I mean, I live with you. I have to hear your story constantly (laughs) and interminably. So I empathize with them, really. And this is their one opportunity to hear a voice of reason from me, (laughs) Josh Sepps. And the last year for me has been a year of curiosity, a year of like trying to learn more about the community. And I've had a lot of aha moments going, oh my goodness, you think you know so much because you are gay, but you actually only understand the G of mm. the LGBTQI plus alphabet. Mm. And your experience is... No, I don't con- even understand the G. Yeah, I was going to say, your experience is so strange because mm. you don't really even feel like you're a part of this uh, alphabet. That's and right. And that is why I wanted to start with you. That's why you're here. Yeah. That's it. I it's like a selfish it. reason. I like My it. ego is driving it. <laughs> so let's start with the fact that when our producers reached out to you, we gave you a formula, a little introduction formula. We said... Tell us your name. Tell us uh, your sexuality and when you came out. And you did not identify your sexuality in that sentence. Why? 
because I'm not sure that it is useful to anybody to think about each other in categories. When you, if I were to say I'm Josh Sepps and I'm gay, which would be a fine thing to say and would make a lot of sense to a lot of people, and I don't have any problem saying, for most people that would include a whole bunch of characteristics that I don't think are relevant to the question of my sexuality or who I am. Mm. So gay has a certain style, it has a certain fashion. I mean, look at what you're wearing. Come on, you are gay. <laughs> I look great. You are flaming. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. It's true. You look fantastic. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he's wearing yellow and pink. It's a cardigan. He looks Just like picture, a nana. Picture Harry looks Styles. looks like there's been an explosion <laughs> in a cotton factory and it's all come together into... Anyway, let's not go into fashion. But you know what I mean. There's a certain way of talking, a certain way of walking, a certain way of... of uh, a certain politics, a certain musical style... And I always felt, I found that to be alienating. Mm. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that gay is that and I'm not saying that all gay people are that. What I'm saying is that there's a, a kind of psychological, cultural, intellectual category that we've created, which is a fiction, which was created by people who share a particular style and they've created their box in their community and that's fine for them to live in. But... I'll only play along with that definition to the extent that it's useful for people to understand that I happen to be married to a man and that I happen to be turned on by attractive men. Like beyond that, I don't think that the, all of the other baggage that goes along with the term is particularly useful. So I'll avoid it when I can. Well, let's take a step back then because I am interested in walking through this because we're talking about it like basically a decade of learning. But there is a time in your life, which would have been in the late 80s and 90s, when all the boys around you, I imagine you had all straight friends, basically, yes. at that time, yeah. were talking about boobs. They must have been, like, talking about girls, and I have a girlfriend, and I'm we thinking... We were also a very nerdy group of boys. Okay, so, we like, were, yeah. <laughs> the larger... <laughs> like, we were, you know, we were inner city Sydney, where our parents were mostly artistic or creative professionals. They were architects and actors and so on. And so we were very respectful. It was a very sort of, you know, progressive kind of pro-women sure. environment. So there wasn't a lot of what might be called now today locker room talk. Mm. There wasn't a lot of grabbing by the P word uh, talk going going on. But you're right. I mean, I was in a context of sure. of assumed straightness and there was there was nothing in my life that, uh, that drove me to expect that I was any different than that. So you actually got to power through your primary school days without the questioning in your head of, people are going to know, or I'm very different than everyone else? You just didn't have that? I, I think what I'm trying to remember, I think that what I felt was, I'm a free thinker, I'm super smart, I'm open-minded about things, other people are living inside their own boxes, mm. right? And that, and they are following the predictable path of asking a girl out, going on a date. Will you? Get, will we do this? Like, and all of these kind of cultural artifacts have always struck me as a little bit weird. You know, mm. you know that. Sure, like, sure. I never quite understand. I've always been an outsider to the universe. I never mm. quite. I don't. Know. It's like Stephen Fry once said that he, whenever he's dancing, he feels like some everybody else went to a, like, was pulled out and sent to a dance class on one day when he was staying home from school or something, and he doesn't know how everybody has learned. Like, I feel that way about life. Yeah. Like, I don't know how people have all learned to be doing the things that they're doing, but they all seem to follow the rules and sure. go along. And that was just one rule that I thought you do. And when you're in year eight, you ask a girl out and then you fool around with her. And so that just struck me as when I was fooling around with a friend of mine at the same time, with a guy I just thought, like, we're super open-minded. We're experimenting in a way that other, that, that other people would uh, that would shock other people because sure. it would make them mean they would they would make it mean something. And I'm enlightened enough to not. But at that time, people are definitely starting to think about well, what happens for uni? What happens afterwards? Maybe relationships are lasting a really long time, so people are starting to think of the next steps. And did you just move through that period of your life and go, well, I'll just marry a woman? That's what everyone else does. Oh, that's an interesting question. No, yes, I did have a question about the future. I did I did occasionally think, uh, wonder to myself whether or not this was going to be something that I would have to have some reckoning with one day. What would it what would it mean if I continued to live like this and I wanted to live like this openly? Mm. How would you have that? It wasn't for me, will I have to have a coming out moment as being gay? It was like, I wonder if my future, if I 
persist in being as contrarian as I am will look different from my friend's future. Mm. And I, I don't even think I had the the tools to conceive of what a conversation of true authenticity and self-expression would look like yeah. until I was old, until I was in my late teens, really early 20s. It's interesting because the way that you're talking feels very modern. This is an idea that I think a lot more people are comfortable with in the last three or four years. Yeah, they're coming around to me, baby. But I was ahead of the curve. I was going to say, but in the 90s, it's beautiful that you're talking like this, but that, that just was not the reality of that time frame. Mainly, the, I guess my question then is, when is that moment where someone demands you to put a label on it? When did you feel that you had to start to? Because for many of us, it was the bullies come for you. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for the moment <laughs> to put a label on it. That's that's how you started this interview, right? I mean, mm. you, you, you sent me a pro forma form of saying, my name is blank and I am blank, insert sexuality here, and I still defied you. Yeah. Well, what about then, for most people, the label... It, the, the definition of coming out for most people is the moment in which you talk to your parents about who you are, usually long before a marriage. What was that moment and how old were you? <laughs> I told them three weeks after I married you. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting thing. So you just said for most people it's about telling your parents about who you are. Mm. That's not how I saw it or still how I see it. They knew who I am. They knew all the important things about me. Mm. They knew my intellect. They knew my interests. They knew my passions. They yeah. knew my temperament. They knew and they my thought flaws. you would get married to a woman. No, by that stage, they probably didn't. Yeah? Yeah, by that stage, I don't know what they thought. That would be an interesting I've asked, question to ask. I know the answer to that question. <laughs> well, what do they say? Well, they... Or what do they at least claim? That with you and your sibling... That it was, you, you guys were raised a very liberal way, so of course it would have been accepting. They knew gay people, but it was not a thought for each of you that that would have been a life that you would have lived. It just didn't cross need to cross their mind. It wasn't like they had a Sean Zepps in their house who was literally doing pirouettes in a tutu <laughs> with eyeliner on. They didn't need to like fully analyze it. And also, you know, I've talked to your parents. You had a girl, a serious girlfriend mm. at an age in which most gay people, mm. how old were you? 22, I think. Most gay people were not still playing that game no. if that is who they no, were. No, that's true. So the thought that they would have to sit down and have a conversation or even get a text from you was like, haven't we passed that time Well, frame? so I'll tell you what the conversation was. So what, what I, what I, the way that I came out to them and to most people, I suppose, was not about, was not saying I am gay or here's some vast hidden secret about me. Mm. It was about having the respect for them, I think, to bring them into the experience that I was undergoing, which was an experience of some amount of confusion, promise, possibility, distress, uh, and love, mm. which was the experience of falling in love with someone. And it was by, and I simply, I remember it, I was, I was having dinner at their place and I just said, I won't say the guy's name because I haven't asked his permission to be able to talk about this, but you know, I think so-and-so and I, are, uh, we're getting very close and I think we're falling in love. We almost made out. Uh, and that prompted them to say, what are you saying? I think dad said, what, what are you saying? And I said, I'm just sharing with you some, something that's going on in my life because it's obviously going to have ramifications. Uh, and they were very accepting and they were like, that's, that's wonderful. You know, see how it goes. Mm. Uh, and I did see how it went. And thereafter, there was no real need for explanation or classification. I suppose if I'd then started dating a girl, then after 12, mo 12 months in, my mum probably would have sure, been like, are you, sure. Josh, are you sure that you know what you're doing here? And it wasn't without its hurdles. Uh, there were, um, you know, there was the usual kind of sort of latent bigotry that you expect from being a minority. Mm. But I took that in my stride because, and I, and I think it was just so much easier. And my counsel to young people since then has generally been, if you want to be in a box, that's great. Be in a box. No one's, it's a free world. But also, also feel that you're free to pursue whatever version of Eunice 
is truest to you. Mm. And if that is not inside someone else's box and you don't feel that a label is appropriate, then screw the label. Just talk to the people who you love about the experience that you're undergoing. And if that's an experience of confusion, uncertainty, and whatever, if they love you, they'll be fine with that. They'll be by your side through that. Mm. There was something overly simplistic and cardboard cutout and off the shelf about sitting down and being like, I am gay. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that would have been a, a, a less loving way of doing it, actually, than bringing them along for the ride and trying mm. to land the plane with them. What's funny is most people who come out of the closet who struggle do the exact opposite in three distinctly different areas than you have. They don't have a person as a proof point. Yeah. So that was very, very helpful. You know, for me, you say, I'm gay. And then people's natural reaction is, are you sure? Have you done anything with it, 12-year-old child? It's not an inappropriate response at all for a parent to go, have you explored this thing that you think you are? Like, how do you know? So that that's one thing you've basically taken away from your parents. They can't do that because you're saying, I, here's a human. Then the second thing you're saying is, I think I am exploring. I'm discovering. When you can enroll someone in your journey, which again, very few people do when they're coming out, they say, this is me, end of conversation, come along for the ride or bust. And you're saying, I want to talk about how I'm, this experience I'm working through. And then I guess the third thing, you're later in life than the average person. That is a beautiful thing to address. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say to young people, wait until you're, you know, 28. No, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it that way again. And and if I were growing up in the 2020s, I wouldn't do it that way. I would, I hope, I really hope that by now we have won enough, won enough battles by now that it's possible for someone who, for today's version of me, when they're 15 to date a guy for a while and when they're asked questions about, oh my God, is he or isn't he? Are you or aren't you gay? Are you in or out of the closet? To just be like, whatever, man, we're yeah. having a great time. And then six months later to be dating a girl and not to have like, oh my God, I can't believe what a hypocrite you are. I thought I knew who you were. What, what You're so confused. It'd be lovely. And I think in many circles, we are getting getting there for us to all be non-judgmental enough to just be like, okay, he's that's, and if I could have done that, I would have done that, but there was no possibility for me to do that, I felt, in the 1990s. And 90% of the blame for that it lies on straight culture and its unwillingness to be accepting, mm. but a good strong 10% lies on the way that the gay community conceived of itself and its inability to provide me with even a glimmer of self-identification okay. in its artifice. So after you talk to your parents, the cat's out of the bag, for so many young gay people or, or members of our community, your your family knowing, the people closest to you is really the hurdle. If your friends leave you, it's like you can find some other ones. But for you, you had an incredibly close relationship with your brother, incredibly close relationship with your grandparents. When did they find out? Like, how long did that take? Yeah, well, to the honest answer is I don't remember exactly because it was all in roughly the same period. There was like a one-month period where I was like, okay, this is something that I, I need to reckon with. So all of the people who were close to me got, uh, got involved in some way. I had told one of my friends a fair bit earlier, as soon as it had started happening. And the other big relationship in my life was my grandparents, who I absolutely adored, but my mum's from New Zealand, so they were living in, mm. in Auckland. Uh, and I wanted to tell them in person, and I wanted to tell my aunt and uncle, my mum's my sister and brother-in-law, who I'm also very close with in person, but there came a point at which, and I'd gone back to New York at this stage because I was spending most of my time in, in New York City, and uh, mum just texted me one day and said, sweetheart, I think it's a bit weird for me not for us not to just tell my sister. I mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable about it. Because she's probably talking to them every week on the phone. Well, that's right, yeah. exactly. It's, it's you know, so I know you want to have your big, dramatic, like, heartfelt, like, <laughs> I, I need to tell you about this relationship I've had and what it reveals about my soul. Yeah. But she's like, can I just tell them? It's like, it's, and so then uh, she told them, and uh, that was fine. But the, a couple of weeks later, I got a, a card in the mail from New Zealand in New York uh, and it was the sweetest a note. Handwritten note. Handwritten, how cute. A handwritten card from my Aww. grandmother, uh, who is a, a, a Roman Catholic, um, a very strong, ferociously independent uh, New Zealand matriarch of the best possible kind. 
And uh, I think it may even have had like Catholic iconography and imagery on the front, like baby angels. Jesus on yeah, the front of the car. Jesus. If it did, and I was I'm like, uh oh, this is bad. <laughs> and it was so sweet. And she, and she was just saying, my dear Joshua, it's just so wonderful to hear that you you've got this whole new adventure ahead of you. Uh, we're all made different. Uh, that's that's why God made us. Life would be very mm. boring if we were all the same, wouldn't it? So lots of love from your nana. And I thought. That's a class act. That is seriously a class act. Yeah. And uh, my brother I'm very close with, so I I, I told him as, as soon as... Uh, actually, no, funnily, he found out, he found out um, on the same day that I was going to tell him. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so then, and then he texted me, uh, 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 he texted me, come and I want to have a chat with you. And then he said, uh, oh, so-and-so told me. And... That I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, oh, that's absolutely fine. Wow. And then that was that. So I guess my only question is, you go into this as a young person feeling as if you've told your truth, and your truth is a question mark. It's a, I know I have this feeling towards this person who is of the same sex as me, but you, you've you told the story as if you presented it more of a bisexual conversation. Do you know what your mom told your grandmother? Did did she just go straight for Gayville, do you think? Oh, that's really interesting. Because I'm just wondering, of all these people, because I know them, yeah, and they think really you're interesting. gay. I'm, sh- I'm sure that everybody, that most people collapsed it into, uh, and some people said this, and you know, some people would be rude enough to say, oh, you're finally coming out, are you? Oh. I mean, what a, what a demeaning, way to chop you off at the knees. Seriously. Like if, here's my advice to parents. Don't say that, mm. <laughs> right? Because whatever it is that has taken the time for the person to reach this conversation with you, there has been a reason for the delay. They haven't just been dawdling. They haven't been busy playing video games. Sure. You know, there's been something that they've been going through that makes them think that now is, a, is the right time. Mm. And for you to undermine that and make them feel like it's not the right time uh, you know, you can't go, you, we don't have time machines, so I can't fix that. And earlier you were talking about uh, how one of the components of my coming out that was unique and partic- particularly helpful maybe was that there was a person to to peg it to, yeah. right? And that reminded me of an incredible, the most embarrassing coming out experience that I had was with one of my best female friends who I hadn't caught up with in a long time and who wasn't sufficiently in my, our old friendship circle to necessarily have heard on the grapevine yet. Uh, and I hadn't told many people and I got a, a beer with her and it was just the two of us. And there'd been a guy who I'd kind of been seeing in New York, but it was nothing major. So I articulated to her that I'd been seeing a guy and she was really surprised and really supportive. And she said, what's his name? And I blanked. I completely blanked. Because you didn't know? I forgot. I was so overcome with the, I guess, the adrenaline. This was one of the first people I'd told Mm. from my friendship group who wasn't my parents. It may even have actually been before my parents. I can't remember the exact timeline. It It was a big thing for me to share it. And it wasn't that important a relationship. I was sort of... Uh, like exaggerating the importance of the relationship sure. because it made the conversation so much easier to have. And now she really doesn't believe now, your ass. She's well, like exactly. a liar. <laughs> no, that's right. And I, I, like in hindsight, of course, I should have just said his name. I don't know. His name is Bob, whatever. Like call him Rodney. I don't know. But I didn't lie. And I was like, I'm just completely blanking. And like she looked at me and smiled and was like, okay, that's okay. That's and okay. obviously she thought, that, that's okay. <laughs> you make up whatever story you have to make up. And I'm like, no, honestly, there is a human. Yeah. There was a human. The reason I asked is because I feel like your story, the bisexual coming out story, and that is not your label. There are no labels to throw onto your um, unique experience. But for most people who are bisexual or pansexual or or aren't sure, the average uh, listener hears gateway drug to gayville. Yes. That's just what they hear. Absolutely. Mainly because there are not a lot of people like you talking. I mean, even I hear it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be taking let myself off the hook here. When I when someone when a 19-year-old comes out as bisexual, I assume that they are what most 19-year-old people who come out as bisexual historically have been, mm. which is someone who is going to end up identifying as a gay person yeah. and live a li- live a gay lifestyle, but who, you know, is in a complicated 
uh, erotic period where sure. there is where they don't when they don't want to say that they're repulsed by girls, and so they might as well call it bisexual. I mean, that was my experience. Like, I've actually thought about this a lot. When we first met at the bar back in New York City, we have a decade between us from an age perspective, and I came out as bisexual basically the same year you came out as bisexual, <laughs> yeah, but right. just at, at two right. different times in our lives. And because I pulled back a year later and fully came out, I've always felt bad. Not for myself or for the people in my life, like they needed to go on that journey with me, but really bad for the bisexuals who needed, or pansexuals or people who weren't sure who needed to come out later to that same group of people. Mainly what I felt bad about is that is a real existence. It is the truth. I now know it because of you. I always thought it was a bullshit until you and I started dating. Mm. I just thought it was bullshit. I'm like, mm. okay, sure. Mm. You're really horny uh, or <laughs> you can't get a girl, so you're playing along on the other side. Like I had dated a lot of, quote, bisexual men who are, are, are homosexuals. And then I met you, fell in love, and came to realize that it was, that there, it was real. There are really people who live the life of they're attracted to hearts, they like people. They don't go into a room and go, where's the penises? Mm. <laughs> Anyone with a tit, come mm. on board. And so when I started to, to understand that, I did feel bad. I did feel shit. And I've always wondered if there is a way to tell gay people <laughs> to not do it. Because I feel like it's really harmful. There are a lot of bisexual and pansexual people who feel decades after coming out that people don't believe them. Mm. And I just know it's true. And I don't necessarily know the only advice is the advice you said, which is the only thing you can do is live your truth. And if that truth in that moment is you're not sure, talking about not being sure is much better than saying I'm 100% X with a question mark attached to it. Here, here. So backtrack a little bit. When we met in New York City, do you remember telling me that you weren't gay? Do you remember when that happened? Absolutely not. No. I mean, I assume our first, our initial, our courtship was very uh, intense and very sudden mm. and we fell madly in love quite quickly and we were very different people. And I, you know, was this highly intellectualized type of person and still am. And you were a kind of uh, impulsive, emotional, emotionally driven person. So I'm sure that I was like spraying you with all kinds mm. of uh Opinions. That's about, exactly how it happened. So yeah, you do remember <laughs> about myself and about sexuality mm. that um, that you weren't buying. But I don't remember exactly when. Do you? Yeah, I definitely do. Only because I wrote down the first three months of our relationship and like because I knew it was a fairy tale. I was like, I'm marrying an Australian prince and he's gonna take me to England, which is like where I thought Australians <laughs> lived back then. Um, I wrote everything down, and I do remember first thing if you're not gay. Uh, or I've ever had a same-sex hookup before, you don't talk about it. You're not like kissing and going, are you gay? No, bisexual. Right. Like the, it right. didn't happen at first. Exactly. You, you, have you don't really need to come out when no. you're having sex. Also, we were at a gay bar, so I was quite confident that you liked men at least. The only red flag, I guess, and I didn't have enough experience, but you might have, is that when you're at a bar meeting someone, there's always the potential that they're actually a married man and they're just there for the night, or their family doesn't know, or their friends don't know. But within two dates, I knew that your whole family knew. I knew that your friends knew. I knew that you had been in a relationship with a boy. And on the second date, you talked about your long-term girl relationship. The reason I remember this is we opened, I wrote down, we opened the X-Files on the second date. And that was when you said, as if it was no big deal, you know, my last relationship was a guy, before that was a girl, before that was a guy, before that was a girl. And that was my moment of like, oh, shit. And I asked, was that, was that, was that real? Or were you just figuring stuff out? And you looked at me like, oh, my child. Yes, of course it was real. And then you said to me, which is why I think it stuck with me. But it, isn't that everyone, like your experience must be quite similar. Like, you know, you're attracted to girls, you know, and I just lied to you. I went, absolutely. Do you remember me in the beginning of our yes, relationship going, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yes. I, I can get, yes. I can be with women for sure. <laughs> and then I had to basically come out to you a year later, me being like, actually, the truth is. Yeah, but. I've never liked a woman yeah, really. Right. It's all bullshit. Oh, that's interesting. But I know that's that that happened. And that was 100% in New York City at the coffee shop. 
The second day, that's the second date, which you texted me after that night and said, let's get coffee the next day. And we opened the X-Files then. It just happened. Opened the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, isn't it? Next podcast, the X-Files. Exactly. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds about right. And then I had to re-come out to you as actually 100% gay. I had to basically say I lied to you. All of the girl stuff happened, but was bullshit. It, but you know, you never had that coming out. We didn't have an overt coming out about that. That was just a gradual process of me being able to smell your bullshit because yeah. uh, I love you to bits, but it's certainly within the first five, for the first five years of our relationship, and to some extent still to this day, you don't have the greatest grasp on <laughs> hewing scrupulously to the truth about your fact, past. Fact, truth. You will just, you'll mm-hmm. take the emotional truth of whatever was happening and you'll spin it into a whirlwind of something. And I'll think that you're talking about actual things that happened. Mm. And it turns out that they didn't happen or yeah. they're a gross exaggeration. So, I mean, you know, it was a sticking point for us in our first, in our early years that you would keep telling me things that conflicted about your past in terms of relationships, the number yeah. of relationships and who was when and everything. And I think at some point after our trip to Ecuador, you actually had to write down for yeah, yourself write all of the dates of everybody because, you know, in one story you came out when you were 13 <laughs> and another story you came out, you, you know, you were still in the closet when you were 15 and one story you were with a girl for this long and you would have had to be Methuselah to be old enough to, to have had all but of these But let me save face a little bit for myself. <laughs> when you are in the closet and you are performing in straight relationships but experiencing gay relationships on the side because I cheated on every single girl with a boy. Those oh, That overlap, which was why I wrote it on, down on a piece of paper for you so you could see when boy number one overlaps with girl number one. And even though that girl relationship lasted two years, two boy relationships occurred in that time. Though it is terrible and I feel terrible about it, that experience of kind of exploring and discovering and being in relationships and sleeping with people is like this muddled water. But what I remember specifically lying to you about and lying to myself about was what it took to sleep with those women. This idea that it was like easy, this idea that I didn't think about other things, this idea that I didn't prep for it. When you said, oh yeah, I can sleep with girls, 100%. I, I, I'm very attracted. Yeah, absolutely. Like I just internalized homophobia with the gay man, at the time, gay man I'm with, I feel that I need to f- subscribe hmm. to that truth as well, yeah. as if that made me more man, as if that made me more masculine. Sure. But also, I mean, you're on the second date with someone you like, so you lie about anything. I mean, yeah, I exactly. could have said, I love vanilla. You know, you'd be like, well, yeah, me too. It's my favorite. I wonder if you have to come out again. The only reason I'm saying that is, listen, <laughs> listen, right. listen, you did it right. Oh, no, he's got a show about coming Wait, out listen. and he's saying I didn't do it no, right. No, listen, the reason I say it is, I think a lot of our friends just think you're gay. I think your family just goes, he's gay. And as I'm sitting here as an, a gay man, a 100% gay man, I'm not sure if you're doing anyone a benefit by just going along with it. Because, it, I mean, it is easier. It's way easier. Well, yeah, you don't want to have to have the entire conversation that we've just had on this podcast every single time you introduce yourself to someone at a cocktail party. Yeah, but if we could, so yeah. that young people who are... <laughs> I reckon that there are more people who agree with you and your experience than there are that that have my experience. I reckon there are enough people listening going, well, I've always kind of liked girls. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love men. I married one. I have two kids with them. But I still think about women every time I'm in bed alone. And they've just kind of moved through life and thought, well, come on. Am I going to really go through the rigmarole of, of telling everyone, well, it feels 10% this and 90% that? Because it is a spectrum. It is really hard for people unless they genuinely feel equally weighted to walk into a room and have to explain that to people. Mm. It is annoying. It would take a long time, especially if you've gone through life quite happily in relationships with people of a specific sex. It is a lot of annoying trauma to Mm. have to do that. But for young people listening who hear what you're saying and go, you know what? I've always thought this was bullshit. The answer could be, I think that's bullshit. Just like a lot of non-binary people are doing anymore, which is I don't subscribe to that. It's yeah, just not for I me. I mean, I think the non-binary movement is really interesting and those people's stories is is fascinating and I love I love watching it. And I mean, you're right. But when you say like, this is a conversation that I should have to everybody at a cocktail party, that yet again is the answer to your original question about why I didn't say I'm Josh Sepps and I'm gay. To mm-hmm. say I'm Josh Sepps and I'm married to a man is to do precisely the chess move 
that you're suggesting I should, which is to sidestep the label, mm. talk about the reality, the fact, the fact. The fact is, the incontrovertible fact is that I am legally married to you. Yeah. So people, well, then we can have a, have a whole conversation. We can have the conversation as long as people want to about what that means about me, about what it means about culture, about what it means about biology, about attraction, about mm. sexuality. All of that can come later. But I'm not going to, in my everyday life, pander to a di- a, like a sexual dichotomy that I don't think holds water. One of the most frustrating conversations I ever had in the whole process of coming out to my friends, and my friends were just wonderful about, about this, uh, I think because we were old enough that they were mature about it. Yeah. They weren't going to be They weren't 13. They weren't 13. Like I was. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's nice to be coming out to people who are 20 or 21. Uh, and it was, but the most frustrating one was one of my best friends uh, in trying to have a deep heart to heart with me a few weeks after we'd come out. We were at a party, we were on a beach, and he was like, So I just want to get this straight. You're bisexual. And. <laughs> I started to try to go into a spiel about, well, and he sort of cut me off and he was like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. There are three things. There's gay, straight, and bisexual. So Make it easy for me, You're please. not gay, yeah, and, and you're not straight, so you're, bis- so you're bisexual. And, I, and then I start talking about you know, ancient Rome and like, you know, we're at a party, people are getting drunk, and well, I just want to have a good time. And he doesn't want to be hearing about the number of people who were having same-sex relationships in Paris in the 19th century. Mm. Uh, He doesn't want to hear about all the complexities and cultural uh, inputs that are going into our conception of bisexuality. He doesn't want to hear me quoting Bert Archer saying that bisexuality is a condition that looms so large that it's invisible. He wants his category, Mm. and I couldn't give it to him. And And I walked away from that conversation feeling like I had opened up my soul to somebody and they had come in with three jigsaw pieces and they'd asked and they'd said pick one you're only allowed to be one of these or brought through brought along three boxes and were like get in one does that make it more difficult to come out continually on a date is that why you just say gay yeah because there's no emotional labor in my coming out now Mm. but I love one thing that I love about the premise of this show, the way that you've articulated it to me, is the idea that there is no one coming out that you then don't have to do, that mm. it's a daily thing because you're always meeting new people. And yeah. those people have to be informed about my sexuality because they're going to make logical assumptions uh, on the just on the basis of statistics that that we're all straight. And one thing that I do try to do is if I'm on the air and I've got, a, let's say I've got, a, I was talking to a new, to a guest and we were talking about kids and I wasn't sure whether or not this guest who I was speaking to on the air, because uh, I'm a radio presenter for people who don't know, uh, was, knew that I was married to a guy and had kids. And so I always have to talk about you and raise and raise your sex. Drop it in, in like in really strategic <laughs> yeah, ways. Husband. Yeah, right. I, you know, I have to have, I, so I, I usually say, so my partner, who's a who's a guy, had you know, and th- there's usually some way of linking it to the story, so it doesn't sound completely random. I might yeah. say, you know, but he's a guy, so he do- he didn't have the same problem as you know women might or whatever. Mm. Um, but I'll always frame it in those terms. I won't say uh, as a gay married man. It's interesting because you present straight. That I mean, that's just I guess a reality of like your existence within our community. There are a large group of men who we would refer to as like passing. You can like enter a conversation, talk the way you normally talk authentically, sit the way you normally sit authentically. There's nothing contrived about it. I know you. So it's a 24-7, Josh, that's your voice. But if I asked 100 people, uh, I don't know, 90 would say straight, especially if you had your kids. I just wonder if you are put in a box. You don't even get the opportunity to come out because they just decide. Like, is that your experience when you're at the playground? Right, right. Yes, in an Uber. There probably is more coming out that I have to do than most gay people do, actually. Yes, it's probably more of a, Mm. um, uh, it's probably a more routine thing because people's gaydar doesn't get triggered quite as easily with me. So I have to, I have to keep on it. Uh, um, Mm. But um, because people do it for me, right? Like they, well, sometimes, but sometimes they have no idea as well. It depends how how you know how sheltered they are when you're with when you're with children like we have, like at a playground. Mm. I think everyone is more tentative because 
you're around kids. Clearly, they're calling you dad. Like, how do we get get there? But I find that people will just say partner around me because they're just like, well, he clearly seems gay. Like, yeah. let's let's yeah. see what's going on here. But I've been around people putting just putting you in that box just because it it seems, especially in this culture, that you just are living a quite normal life. You have children. You're straight. I mean, I think one of the things that we can all do that will help here is just being conversationally aware of not making assumptions about people. And this goes, you know, well beyond uh, sex and goes into not just gender and transgender, but also race and so on. Like if we if we if we all just have that that algorithm running in our head, uh, that it's possible that the person you're talking to is not who you think they are. Mm. How do we uh, do that? In a living situation that, well, I think, I think we're getting there. I mean, I think we're almost there. It's, by it's saying a, partner. Yeah, exactly. That's right. By saying partner instead of wife, by, uh, you know, if there's any doubt whatsoever, checking on a, checking about people's pronouns. And I, I think, I think tact mm. <laughs> is useful. Is the advice then to parents in particular, go into parenting, imagining your child is bisexual, like paint the, the slate as if all options are open. So no matter what they say, you're prepared. That's a good way of putting it. Yes, absolutely. Treat it as as if it would be completely normal for them to bring either sex home. And then at some point, they're going to rule out one of those. Mm. Probably. Because that's what I've been thinking a lot about. We're gay. We have children who are blank slates because we're a member of this community, specifically because of your experience. We're just going in. Every time any of our friends talk about Stella or Cooper, they just say girlfriend or... Who knows what Stella's girlfriend or boyfriend will be like? They just Mm. add both labels because it's much easier because we just really don't know. But how do you help parents who are straight, who had straight parents, who are surrounded by straight friends and family, who may or may not be religious, who only know one way to be, but really want to be great parents and really want to help? The coming out experience is shit. It just is. It's really hard for most of us. Mm. And I know your experience doesn't seem like that to listeners. No, mine wasn't easy. I mean, it wasn't easy at all because there were whole periods where it was, uh, I mean, it, it's lonely is what it is. What it is. What, what it was for me was like what it might be for, what it might have been for you is like anxiety inducing because you've got this hidden thing that you are and that thing is potentially a sinful thing mm. that people are not going to, respect and that they're going to exclude you from their, uh, their lives on, on the basis of. Did you read my diary? <laughs> <laughs> but at least you had a thing. You know, I didn't have a thing. I just felt that uh, any truly authentic expression of myself would involve fooling around with guys and girls and there wasn't really a place for that to live. So on the question about how can parents make sure that they they treat their kids in as well as possible as as possibly i mean using gender neutral language when you're talking about future partners and when you're talking about the objects of desire is really important having a close relationship with your kids is really important and let's not forget i mean the elephant in the room here is that i benefited tremendously from the fact that i grew up in a secular non-religious family mm. and there is a huge huge moral cost that the church has to bear, uh, and I'm not just talking about the Christian church, most most denominations are not good on this. Uh, and so if that's a part of your life and if faith is an important part of your family life, then you absolutely have to get ahead of the game in thinking about what it will mean if one of your kids is gay, because it's not enough. It's not. It's unlikely to be enough, I think, to just say, oh, well, our interpretation is that God loves everybody if all of the authorities of your church every single week when you go are saying the opposite thing, on what grounds do you think your kid is going to give you greater credence than the creator of the universe? Like the creator of the universe probably knows a few things. Exactly. He said that being gay is a sin. Uh, he, he's probably onto something. Um, and so I think that is that that is probably the biggest thing that any parent can do is teach children about the range of different religions in addition to their own, the diversity of different faiths and beliefs, the uncertainty of how much we don't know about what the purpose of the universe is and the certainty that the best way to get through life is to be true to yourself and to be kind to other people and Mm. to be authentic. I mean, that's brilliant. So parents aside, because I feel like, honestly, that's the bow. If you do that, you really aren't going to fail. You just can't. 
Because no matter what your child comes with, you've thought about it. You're prepared in some way, shape, or form. But for the kid, for the Josh, the 13-year-old, 12-year-old Josh, who's just going through life and feels isolated, confused because he doesn't fit into a box that the world wants to fit him in, what is your advice to that small, to that young child? I mean, I think it sounds like such a cliche, but be yourself. Like, really honor the fact that you have a right to be here. What's hard in your teens, and not just with sexuality, but with everything, is that the universe seems like it's been designed and coordinated by a bunch of people who knew what they were doing, and it may not have a place precisely for you. So you're trying on a bunch of different clothes and a bun- and, and seeing how you might fit into this cosmos. And I'm saying cosmos, it might be as small as your little community or your town or your school, but that's what it feels like. Mm. Uh, it feels expansive and endless and daunting. And I think the challenge of of your teenage years is to make friends with the fact or come to the realization that most people get in their late teens or early 20s that actually the whole world is just made up by people who have mm-hmm. as little idea of what they're doing as you do. Mm. And we create our own way and we build our own networks and friendships out of trust and companionship and love and collaboration and intelligence and reason. And your job is to assert your own you-ness in a way that shines brightly enough that it attracts other people and that it's uh, appealing and and fulfilling for you. There is no pre-cut Josh Sepp's hole in the universe that, that you, it has to make itself available for you. Like you sort of have to do that. And that takes a lot of ignoring what other kids your age think of you, because I think the surest way to lead an unhappy life is to uh, behave according to what you think other people are going to want you to do. And the surest way to be happy is to, is to not be emotionally bothered by what other people think of you. Mm. Um, Because people, I mean, the world around you is completely out of your control. So the, the, the path to happiness is to locate as much of your focus on your fields of control as you can and what other people think and how other people judge you and what circumstances happen to you in your in your life you know all of the all of that extraneous stuff that happens to you or that you could acquire is ultimately going to amount to a huge pile of dust at the end of the day what is going to be lasting is your own sense of yourself and the connections that you make with other people. So that's all a big long-winded way of saying if I was 13-year-old Josh now, you know, yeah, I would just say you have a right to be here. You're as much a part of a part of the universe as the as the sun and the moon and the stars. So so go get them. We're ending on that cuz I know I can't go and say anything that's going to make this conversation better. We would have just been sitting and talking about this at home anyways, but thank you for coming <laughs> in and talking to me about this. I appreciate I'm glad it. we were rolling tape. <laughs> Okay, how did we do? You feeling okay? I know that this episode might have brought up some interesting feelings for you. And if it did, these are some resources you might want to check out. Minus 18 is Australia's LGBTQIA charity. They have a bunch of resources on their website. They put on incredible events and they offer training for classrooms and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA people. Minus 18 is on all socials at minus 18, the numbers, and then the word youth. And their website is minus18.org.au. But minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support in that way, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527. They offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m. till midnight if you want to chat to someone about your gender, sexuality, identity, and relationship feelings. If you're feeling anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's okay too. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. Now, this is the final episode of Come Out Wherever You Are that you're going to hear for a little while. We're taking a break to record new episodes, but we will be back. If you want to stay up to date with what we're up to, you can follow us on Instagram at comeoutwhereveryouare. You can also follow me, Sean Zepps, that's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community, and I want as many LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, and curious folks to be part of our community 
together. And the best way to grow our little family is by telling someone about it. So if you liked this episode or this series at all, share a link in your group chat and post about it on your Instagram stories to get the word out. And if there is anyone you think we should interview for the next season, please, please get in touch. You can send us a DM on Instagram or email us at comeouttous at gmail.com. Come out to us, that's T-O-U-S at gmail.com. Thank you all for the support that you've given me and the series and the guests that we've had. When I think back to the last eight episodes, the last eight conversations, I'm just kind of blown away how far the show has taken me. And so I hope you too. I went in knowing I was going to be inspired. And I was hopeful that I was going to learn a lot. But I don't think I expected that my entire view of our community and how best to communicate with each other was going to change. Really, the big takeaway for me is that queer people are not being asked to revisit this time in their life, for better and for worse. We're not able to share our growth. We're not being asked to revisit some of the challenging times in our lives, and therefore, we're not always healing. So as I walk away from this eighth episode... I think what I've learned, and I would encourage you to do the same, is we can talk to each other a little bit more about these times in our lives. I think it's incredibly therapeutic. You have an opportunity to learn so much about another person, but potentially by asking them to talk about their coming out experience, whether it was challenging or euphoric, we can learn from each other, we can grow, and in many cases, we can heal. And that seems like a missing piece of this coming out journey, this journey of being a queer person. So that is what I'm going to be doing, not just for the small foreseeable future, but for as long as I possibly can. And I would encourage you to do the exact same thing with any of your friends in the LGBTQIA plus community. Okay, that's a wrap. That's enough of me talking. I'm going to go take a little break. I hope you enjoy yours. We will be back in your podcast feeds very, very soon. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me and me alone. No one helped me in the creation of the show. I'm kidding. (laughs) My name is Sean Zepps, but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out. Um, My producer, my number one, Lindsey Green, our executive producer, Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.